0: Chapter 18 of Far From the Madding Crowd. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Far From the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy. Chapter 18 Boldwood in Meditation. Regret. Boldwood was tenant of what was called Little Weatherbury Farm, and his person was the nearest approach to aristocracy that this remoter quarter of the parish could boast of. Genteel strangers, whose god was their town, who might happen to be compelled to linger about this nook for a day, heard the sound of light wheels and prayed to see good society, to the degree of a solitary lord, or squire at the very least. But it was only Mr. Boldwood going out for the day they heard the sound of wheels yet once more and were reanimated to expectancy it was only mr boldwood coming home again his house stood recessed from the road and the stables which are to a farm what a fireplace is to a room were behind their lower portions being lost amid bushes of laurel inside the blue door open halfway down were to be seen at this time the backs and tails of half a dozen warm and contented horses standing in their stalls and as thus viewed they presented alternations of roan and bay in shapes like a moorish arch the tail being a streak down the midst of each over these and lost to the eye gazing in from the outer light the mouths of the same animals could be heard busily sustaining the above-named warmth and plumpness by quantities of oats and hay the restless and shadowy figure of a colt wandered about a loose box at the end whilst the steady grind of all the eaters was occasionally diversified by the rattle of a rope or the stamp of a foot. Pacing up and down at the heels of the animals was Farmer Boldwood himself. This place was his almonry and cloister in one. Here, after looking to the feeding of his four-footed dependents, the celibate would walk and meditate of an evening till the moon's rays streamed in through the cobwebbed windows or total darkness enveloped the scene. His square-framed perpendicularity showed more fully now than in the crowd and bustle of the market-house. In this meditative walk his foot met the floor with heel and toe simultaneously, and his fine, reddish-fleshed face was bent downwards just enough to render obscure the still mouth and the well-rounded, though rather prominent and broad, chin. A few clear and thread-like horizontal lines were the only interruption to the otherwise smooth surface of his large forehead. The phases of Boldwood's life were ordinary enough, but his was not an ordinary nature. That stillness which struck casual observers more than anything else in his character and habit, and seemed so precisely like the rest of inanition, may have been the perfect balance of enormous antagonistic forces, positives and negatives, in fine adjustment. His equilibrium disturbed, he was in extremity at once. If an emotion possessed him at all, it ruled him. A feeling not mastering him was entirely latent stagnant or rapid it was never slow he was always hit mortally or he was missed he had no light and careless touches in his constitution either for good or for evil stern in the outlines of action mild in the details he was serious throughout all he saw no absurd sides to the follies of life and thus though not quite companionable in the eyes of merry men and scoffers and those to whom all things show life as a jest, he was not intolerable to the earnest and those acquainted with grief. Being a man who read all the dramas of life seriously, if he failed to please when they were comedies, there was no frivolous treatment to reproach him for when they chanced to end tragically. Bathsheba was far from dreaming that the dark and silent shape upon which she had so carelessly thrown a seed was a hotbed of tropic intensity. Had she known Boldwood's moods, her blame would have been fearful and the stain upon her heart ineradicable. Moreover, had she known her present power for good or evil over this man, she would have trembled at her responsibility. Luckily for her present, unluckily for her future tranquility, her understanding had not yet told her what Boldwood was. Nobody knew entirely, for though it was possible to form guesses concerning his wild capabilities from old flood-marks faintly visible— He had never been seen at the high tides which caused them. Farmer Boldwood came to the stable door and looked forth across the level fields. Beyond the first enclosure was a hedge, and on the other side of this a meadow belonging to Bathsheba's farm. It was now early spring, the time of going to grass with the sheep, when they have the first feed of the meadows before these are laid up for mowing. The wind, which had been blowing east for several weeks, had veered to the southward and the middle of spring had come abruptly almost without a beginning it was that period in the vernal quarter when we may suppose the dryads to be waking for the season the vegetable world begins to move and swell and the saps to rise till in the completest silence of lone gardens and trackless plantations where everything seems helpless and still after the bond and slavery of frost their bustlings, strainings, united thrusts, and pulls altogether, in comparison with which the powerful tugs of cranes and pulleys in a noisy city are but pygmy efforts. Boldwood, looking into the distant meadows, saw there three figures. They were those of Miss Everdeen, Shepherd Oak, and Caney Ball. When Bathsheba's figure shone upon the farmer's eyes, it lighted him up as the moon lights up a great tower. A man's body is as the shell or the tablet of his soul, as he is reserved or ingenuous, overflowing or self-contained. There was a change in Boldwood's exterior from its former impassableness, and his face showed that he was now living outside his defenses for the first time, and with a fearful sense of exposure. It is the usual experience of strong natures when they love. At last he arrived at a conclusion. It was to go across and inquire boldly of her. The insulation of his heart by reserve during these many years, without a channel of any kind for disposable emotion, had worked its effect. It has been observed more than once that the causes of love are chiefly subjective, and Boldwood was a living testimony to the truth of the proposition. No mother existed to absorb his devotion, no sister for his tenderness, no idle ties for sense. He became surcharged with the compound, which was genuine lover's love he approached the gate of the meadow beyond it the ground was melodious with ripples and the sky with larks the low bleating of the flock mingling with both mistress and man were engaged in the operation of making a lamb take which is performed whenever a ewe has lost her own offspring one of the twins of another ewe being given her as a substitute Gabriel had skinned the dead lamb, and was tying the skin over the body of the live lamb, in the customary manner, whilst Bathsheba was holding open a little pen of four hurdles, into which the mother and foisted lamb were driven, where they would remain till the old sheep conceived an affection for the young one. Bathsheba looked up at the completion of the maneuver, and saw the farmer by the gate, where he was overhung by a willow tree in full bloom. Gabriel, to whom her face was as the uncertain glory of an April day, was ever regardful of its faintest changes, and instantly discerned thereon the mark of some influence from without, in the form of a keenly self-conscious reddening. He also turned and beheld Boldwood. At once connecting these signs with the letter Boldwood had shown him, Gabriel suspected her of some coquettish procedure begun by that means, and carried on since, he knew not how. Farmer Boldwood had read the pantomime denoting that they were aware of his presence, and the perception was as too much light turned upon his new sensibility. He was still on the road, and by moving on he hoped that neither would recognize that he had originally intended to enter the field. He passed by with an utter and overwhelming sensation of ignorance, shyness, and doubt. Perhaps in her manner there were signs that she wished to see him. Perhaps not. He could not read a woman. The Kabbalah of this erotic philosophy seemed to consist of the subtlest meanings expressed in misleading ways. Every turn, look, word, and accent contained a mystery quite distinct from its obvious import, and not one had ever been pondered by him until now. As for Bathsheba, she was not deceived into the belief that Farmer Boldwood had walked by on business or in idleness. She collected the probabilities of the case and concluded that she was herself responsible for Boldwood's appearance there. It troubled her much to see what a great flame, a little wildfire, was likely to kindle. Bathsheba was no schemer for marriage, nor was she deliberately a trifler with the affections of men, and a censor's experience on seeing an actual flirt after observing her would have been a feeling of surprise that Bathsheba could be so different from such a one, and yet so like what a flirt is supposed to be. She resolved never again, by look or by sign, to interrupt the steady flow of this man's life but a resolution to avoid an evil is seldom framed till the evil is so far advanced as to make avoidance impossible. End of chapter 18. Recording by Leanne Howlett.